In this episode, I talk to customer experience expert Ali McGill on how a focus on customer experience could transform your business. Welcome to episode 99 of the Marketing Protection and Finance Podcast. Welcome. You're listening to the podcast for financial services professionals looking to share business ideas and inspiration in the world of marketing, protection and finance. So let's get on with the show. And here's your host, Roger Edwards. Welcome to the Empath Podcast. As always, I'm Roger Edwards, interviewing amazing people about how you can market your business and discussing issues and topics from the world of finance. It's episode 99, which means the next show is the big 100. Thanks for all your support so far. It's been such an incredible journey. Thanks for downloading. Thanks for streaming and thanks for sharing the podcast. I really do appreciate it. Please tune in next week for the return of one of my most popular past guests. Also surprise appearances and business tips from other guests and a competition with some great prizes. But for now, let's talk about customer experience and this week my guest is Ali McGill. Ali is founder of Ashton McGill. He's passionate about people and frustrated by the way many organisations behave today. He says they just don't care about their staff or their customers. Profit has become their only measure of success. They have no soul. He's on a mission to help companies create better customer experiences, to help them understand compassion, empathy, and treating people well. In this episode, you'll hear about how constructive discontent points the way to a better customer experience, the folly that sees $500 billion spent on marketing in the US, but only $9 billion on customer experience, the importance of asking how your customers feel about your service, and how to use rip and mix to take learnings from other sectors. So let's get into that interview with Ali right here on the Marketing, Protection and Finance Podcast. Ali McGill, welcome to the Empath Podcast. Thanks, Roger. It's a pleasure to be here. And where are we Skyping each other from today, Ali? Of course, I'm in Edinburgh, as always. Well, I'm in Scotland's sunniest city, and that is the city of Dundee. A local lad. A local lad, indeed. And I think as the crow flies, it's probably only about 30 miles, so we're almost neighbours. <laughs> Absolutely right. Ali, <laughs> you're a bit of a customer experience expert, and I really want to dig deep into this whole issue of customer experience, because... Obviously, customer experience is so important these days if you run mm. your own business and a great way to engage with customers and, and to grow your business. But before we get to that, maybe give us a bit of background about you. Mm. What makes Ali McGill tick? Well, first of all, th- thanks again. And I'm really grateful for the chance to come on to the podcast and have this conversation with you. I, I, I have an interesting um, background, I suppose, is the best way to describe it. Back in the 80s, I trained as an accountant okay. um, with Arthur Young, who became Ernst & Young and who became EY. And I I did that because I was interested in business, not because I wanted to be an accountant per se, but I always had this passion as a youngster for the world of business. Mm -hmm. And uh, and I was good at numbers, so that seemed the right thing to do. And I qualified in 1993 and then went out into industry and spent the next 23 years, I guess, after that, running all sorts of different types of 
businesses. Um, so I, I guess that almost a classic entrepreneurial kind of career. Mm-hmm. And so I'd spent all of that time building businesses uh, and focusing on the customer, but I didn't really understand what I do now around customer experience. So, you know, the what makes me tick is a is a really great question. And there's a there's a word I like to use, Roger, which is curiosity. Okay. And and I have a real curiosity as to how things work, why things work. One of my colleagues, I work part-time at the University of Dundee, and one of my colleagues there um, uses a lovely phrase, which is, and this is in our design school, he might uses the term constructive discontent. Okay. And, and that's really about seeing things that could be improved. Mm-hmm. So not just seeing it and saying, that's terrible, but actually seeing it and saying, that doesn't work well. How could it be better? What can we do to make it better? And and I suppose at the core of everything, that's what drives me. It's a very interesting concept, that constructive discontent. Mm. And, and of course, we are surrounded by customer experience. Pretty much every yeah. single interaction that we do these days is a customer experience, whether we're watching Sky TV, whether we're on the train, whether we're on a bus, whether we're in a cafe, whether we're in a gym, whether we're yeah. in a university, everywhere, somebody yeah. is giving us a customer experience mm-hmm. or not, I suppose. You're, you know, you're absolutely right. And for a lot of us, we just we don't think about it in that way. and we, we just take it for granted that the experience is there and it's either good or it's bad. But what my life is about, helping organizations to understand that well first of all to recognize that they have customers and that their customers or clients will experience their services in a way that drives emotion Mm -hmm. and that emotion can be positive or negative and Mm -hmm. both of those have different consequences for the organization so i use the word organization on purpose because we work with all sorts of different types of organization they could be commercial organizations they can some of them are plcs Mm -hmm. some of them are in the financial services world but some of them are service providers, some of them are public services, some of them are hospitals or dental practices or doctor surgeries or schools and universities. And that's the beauty of this. Whenever there's a service being provided, we can help, we can add value to the process. Throughout my career as well, mainly within the financial services industry as a marketeer, I've always been really passionate about customer service and customer experience and you know I, I'm, I have a bit of a reputation for being the, the sort of person who will write complimentary letters to companies that give good service and also not bad complaints or, or moaning mm-hmm. letters but I'll always I will always feed back if I feel that I haven't been given the service that I think I deserve, especially if I'm paying for it obviously. That, it's an interesting thing you, you're in the minority mm-hmm. there Harvard Business School did some research a couple of years ago and they looked at, this was all to do with customer experiences, and uh-huh. they looked at how we behave as consumers uh-huh. when the, those those interactions happen. And there was a couple of interesting things that are maybe just worth mentioning. Okay. The, fir- the, the first of those is that 84% of customers don't think that businesses will meet their expectations. 84? It, yeah. And wow. that, so if you think about, and if the listeners think about the experiences that they have, and when we run our workshops, we do an exercise where we ask people to think about good experiences and then bad experiences. Mm-hmm. Often people struggle to think of good experiences, but everyone can think of bad experiences. So, and, and they're, they're bad experiences because we have as customers or consumers an expectation or, or we have a problem that we want solved and more often than not, we're let down. Yeah. Or the provider of the service doesn't quite do all the things we wanted. So 84% of people don't think that businesses will meet their expectations. And when I say that you're in the minority, but we don't, we, in the UK, we tend not to complain. Yes. 
So again, another statistic that came from the Harvard Review was the Harvard um, Business Review piece of work was that 96% of unhappy customers don't complain. 96%. Wow, that's, that's a huge, high. huge number. So we don't, we just put up with it. But mm. then the other stat that comes from that as well is that 91% of those people will simply leave and never come back. And of course, if companies aren't receiving the complaints and they're not receiving yeah. the compliment, they're not getting the feedback. So presumably they'll yeah. just carry on as normal thinking, well, we must be doing all right then. <laughs> yeah, and you'll see that these organizations will have a churn mm. and they'll have a churn of customers and they won't understand why because they're not asking the right questions or they're not, they don't want to hear the answers. Mm-hmm. So they just continue continue to perpetuate that cycle of spend money on marketing, don't invest in customer experience, have a customer churn, spend more money on marketing. There's a gentleman who you and I are both familiar with called Jay Bear. Yes. And Jay is um, a thought leader around content marketing and he's moved, he's kind of morphed into MySpace around customer experience and customer service. And Jay published a book earlier this year called Hug Your Haters. And, and there was some fascinating stuff in that book. And it was about addressing customer complaints and dealing with those unhappy customers. But one of the things that Jay found in his research, and this is US based, yeah. but let's take this as a global phenomenon because I think it's pretty accurate. Yeah. What he found in the US was that in the year that they reviewed, and that was the bulk of 2015, US corporations spent $500 billion on marketing. $500 billion. $500 billion on marketing and a a sum total of $9 billion on customer service. So we're investing in the wrong things. Now, I'm not suggesting we should spend another $500 billion on customer service, but if if you'd balance the scales out a little and maybe spent a chunk more money on customers, customer experience and yes. delivering consistently good services that will make our customers happy, then you don't need to spend that much on marketing because you're not having to replace the lost business and those happy customers will refer more business to you. I mean, that's a massive lesson, isn't it, for pretty yeah. much every business. If you're spending so much money to acquire customers. <laughs> and it's, uh, a, it's a scary, scary number. And, and you're not actually doing a a great deal to retain them once you've got them. No, no, most people don't. Most organizations don't. That's why as customers, 84% of us don't think that businesses will meet our expectations because we're just so, over the years, we've almost been browbeaten into accepting that, well, it's just going to not be wonderful. And the thing is, the people that do get it right, the people that do deliver wonderful experiences, and I can think of a few in the financial services sector that yeah. do this well, they're the winners. They're the guys that, that, that in the long term will be successful. That provides us with a nice segue into financial services, Ali. And of course, about 80% mm. of people who listen to this podcast are financial services professionals. And the sad fact fact is, even though you can probably name a couple of companies that do it well, financial yeah. services has a pretty ropey reputation for pretty much everything, products <laughs> and service. And, yeah. it, you know, again, it's frustrating to work in that sector mm. and to see how bad things can be. And in a lot of examples, to my mind, it wouldn't take a great deal to, mm-hmm. to really make a leap forward. I mean, I, I was dealing with a company earlier this year, and, and I have mentioned them on the podcast before. And they won't even accept emails and they can't send emails. You can yeah. all you can do yeah. is either phone them or send them a paper letter. And and you just think, well, how can that possibly mm-hmm. be a good customer experience? But that's the way yeah. they operate. Why do you think financial services has such a poor 
track record when it comes to customer experience. So it's uh, we'll take financial services in its broadest context. Mm. I'll include banking and insurance in there definitely, as well. Definitely, definitely. And what our research tells us is that actually professional services, if we broaden it out even further, are all on the whole really poor at c- delivering customer experiences. And mm-hmm. and the reason for that often is that we've spent all of our careers being trained on the technical thing that we do. So we become real experts in products. We become real experts in understanding how best to manage a client's investment or to arrange a pension scheme Mm -hmm. or to do some auto-enrollment or whatever that particular thing is. And all the way through that training, at no point in the process, at no point in the process do we ever teach people the interpersonal skills that are required to deliver the service around it. It's product, 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 product. I trained as an accountant. That was my experience. And I've I've gone back and, and researched how we train our accountants today. And it hasn't changed in 25 years. Yeah. We still teach technical stuff. So we're all focused on doing the stuff we need to do as financial services professionals. Yeah. What we're forgetting is that we're doing that for a reason and the reason is to serve our customer, mm-hmm. to serve mm-hmm. our client. And and that's something that, that is actually standard across the professions. In financial services, I think perhaps more than any of those other sectors, we've got a heavy, heavy amount of regulation, yes. huge amount of regulation. And as you say, there are some horror stories from the past of, of various organizations. I think what happens is that it's kind of easy for us to say, well, we've got to do it this way because of regulation. You can't email us. We need it in writing. I tried to open up, and this is, a, I'm going to tell a quick story, and it's from banking, but I was trying to open a bank account for a customer of mine to help them open a bank account with a bank that they have been a, a customer of for almost 20 years. Mm-hmm. And it was one of the most painful experiences of my life. First off, they sent through a 28-page form. The majority, <laughs> yeah. the majority of the information they already know because we've been a customer, a client's been a customer for 20 years. Once we'd completed it, and there was an awful lot of, of stuff that they did already know, but once we'd completed it, we then were required to fax it back. Mm. Now, this is 2016. I haven't got a fax. My client hasn't got a fax. We couldn't, weren't allowed to scan it and send it back by email. It was fax it back. How are we going to do that? Um, so, so often the answer to your question, why is it poor, is, is made up of lots and lots of little things. But actually, when we look at that in its entirety, it's a lack of focus on the client. Mm. It's a lack of, you know, we, we I talk about flipping the organization structure. So a lot of our organizations, particularly again in financial services and in professional services are structured in a very classic top-down hierarchical way mm-hmm. my approach to this is is to actually not even flip that but to change it and to design and to demonstrate and visualize a new type of organization structure which is circular with the client at the core of it mm. and with the client at the core it changes mindsets and we then realize that actually everything we do should be about the client and the, i mentioned that harvard research earlier roger and yeah. The big thing that came out of that, so as well as all the data and all the statistics, we learned one other thing. And the question that they asked, 75,000 people that they interviewed for this, so it's a decent study. The question that they asked is, what's the number one thing that organizations can do to make you feel more loyal, mm-hmm. to make you feel happier with the service, to make you a more content customer? Do you know what that was? It was, it was I'll tell you. <laughs> it was make, make things easier make things easier. That's it. That's it. Make yeah. things easier. So much of what you're saying resonates with me having worked in financial services companies. I'm thinking right back now to the first day when I very <laughs> first started as a trainee. 
And you're absolutely right. Here's the technical guide for this product. Here's the technical yeah. processes. Here's all the legal jargon and the and the, mm-hmm. the legality that goes into the policy. Learn this. Learn that. Yeah. Learn about the legislation. Learn about the regulation. It is all. And mm-hmm. nobody at all, I, I think, well, how do you actually speak to somebody on the phone? <laughs> how do you yeah. em- how do you empathise with somebody? Yeah. Um, I, I can see exactly how this has developed, and 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 I still think quite a lot of companies are in that mindset it, it is still too heavily biased towards the technicalities and of course quite a lot of companies now start to say we are actually much more customer centric now mm. and we mm. are much more customer focused I always get a little bit nervous when they say that <laughs> in, in such a jargonistic way but yeah. what 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 do companies need to do to effectively move it out of the aspiration to be more customer centric and actually putting it properly into practice in your experience Ali? You use that wonderful word there Roger just a few short seconds ago and that was empathize mm. and and that's a word we use a lot in what we do mm-hmm. and that that really gets to the nub of it yeah if you can learn if, if you can and it's a difficult thing to do but if you can learn to see things from your customer's perspective if you can learn to stand in your customers your client's shoes and deeply understand what it feels like to be the client of your business and empathize with that because as we said at the at the start we said a little earlier then experiences drive emotion mm-hmm. and and we might not we don't you know we're sitting there providing pension schemes or you know running investments for clients we don't think about emotion too much but actually that's what happens that's what the customer experiences they experience emotion it's like flicking a switch in your brain Mm. we need to flick that switch on and and become empathetic and realize that just as we experience services good or bad then that's happening with our clients as well and that's the start of the process if you can make that that mind shift first of all Mm. to to seeing things from your client's perspective then the next part of the process is actually go to go and talk to them. And we do this for a lot of our clients. We go and talk to their their clients and we ask them things like, what does it feel like to be a client of business XYZ? Yeah. And we let them talk and we're not working from a script. You know, some organizations will say, well, we measure customer satisfaction and we do really well. Well, no, you don't because you're asking the wrong questions. You're asking questions that you can then turn into marketing fodder. Yes. You know, you can you can add to JBR's 500 billion with this stuff, but actually, the questions that I'm interested in asking, and this is the constructive discontent piece, is what are we not doing well? Yeah. What are we doing that's making you feel uncomfortable? What are we doing that's letting you down? What would you like us to stop doing? And how? What, what would you like us to start doing? And these are the difficult questions that a lot of people don't like to ask because often the answers are going to make us feel uncomfortable. But if we can shift that mindset then it's transformational and and every time we've seen this done it's transformational and instead of instead of someone like yourself coming onto a podcast and talking about this dreadful experience you had with a an fs firm that wouldn't accept email Mm. you're going to flip that and you're going to come on to the podcast and talk about this wonderful experience that you had with XYZ company who had just thought completely out of the box. And I don't want to try, I don't want to use cliches or jargon if I can avoid it. But, but you know, that whole thing of thinking outside of the box, 
understanding it from your client's perspective, really deeply empathizing with them. If you can do those things, then you can start to transform what you do. It's too easy to say, well, we do it this way because regulation demands it. I was talking on a, a webinar this morning, actually, about terms of engagement. This was in the context of accounting firms, but one accounting firm we've worked with have actually, we've taken the terms of engagement, which they have to produce and they have to send out, but we've also created an abridged version of four-page document, Roger, mm. which is nicely designed. The front page is a nice visual image it's got the brand and the logos on it the back page has got all of the contact information and inside the two pages simply explain what we're going to do and what you're going to do deliverer of service and as client and the all the important things you need to know but in plain english in large you know it's not full of small print it's just nicely designed and easy to understand and interpret. And sure, you can read the detailed terms of engagement if you want. Mm-hmm. But our client tells us that as a result of having implemented this, they're winning more business. Their clients are happier. The clients are actually understanding what the relationship is better now just because we've communicated in plain English. And I think that whole empathy and that whole feeling thing, again, it resonates with a lot of the experiences I've had. Just thinking about some of the insurance products that I've been marketing over my career, you know, to actually say to a customer, how does it feel to have to fill in a 25-page application form? How How does it feel to have to wait three months to go through through the medical assessment process. Mm. How does it feel to be then given a booklet which is 98 pages full of technical, legal, and medical yeah. jargon to ev- evidence your policy? And then yeah. how does it feel when the company doesn't contact you for 10 to 15 years until you actually want to make a claim on the policy? And then when mm. that happens, how does it feel to have to type in one, two, three, four on the IVR and wait on the phone. I mean, when you start yeah. to pl- put it into those terms, you think, yeah. flip it flip it round like you're saying. Yeah. Oh, that company, do you know what? The application form was only three pages long. I was I yeah. had my policy within a couple mm-hmm. of minutes. It came straight through on, on my Twitter account. And they said that I could contact them in any way, shape or form that I want, either through Twitter or through email yeah. or through phone. They'll yeah. even accept me on Snapchat. Wow, that would exactly. be fantastic, wouldn't it? And it's really interesting. It is really interesting you mentioned insurance. There's a there's a company in Norway, and I'll get their name wrong, but they're called Gensig, and I couldn't even begin to spell it for you. Mm-hmm. But they've taken a – so we call this a service design approach. Uh-huh. They've taken a service design approach. It's about designing services. They've taken that approach to how they deliver insurance in Norway. Yeah. And they've just – and they're they're one of the few examples in financial services other than the new challenger banks but mm-hmm. but in terms of financial actual financial services insurance and products life assurance and, and so on they have completely transformed things and they've come they've come at it from the perspective of this is a blank sheet of paper if we were creating our business today forget what the industry does if we were creating our business today what would we want it to look like and how would we want our clients to experience it mm. so Policy documents have been absolutely taken apart and redesigned in a way that will be delivered in a positive way to clients, in a way that clients can easily understand. They've just totally transformed how they deliver insurance and insurance products by not thinking like insurance and financial services people. Mm. It, it doesn't take too much of a leap to see how we can start to fix some of these things. But I guess that, again, it comes back to the technicalities. They'll always say, oh, we need yeah. a 25-year five-page application form because we have to collect all this information. We need the medical evidence that takes three months to get because, 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 rather Mm -hmm. than doing what you've said and saying, okay, let's work 
out how the customer feels and let's try yeah. to transform that experience into something a lot more positive and a lot more engaging. Yeah, you know, there has to be a desire to do this, first of all. You know, if, if people just want to keep doing what they've always done, then then they're not they're not going to change, going to continue to churn clients or just not have as good a business as perhaps they could have. Mm. So first off, you've got to want to do it. But if you then do so if, if you make that decision that, yeah, this sounds like something we should do, then it's just this hugely exciting space where you can rethink what you do and, and not be bound by tradition. We use a tool called Rip and Mix. Mm-hmm. And what that does is it looks at, at the pain points in an industry yeah. or in a business identifies what those are and then we look at things that are completely disconnected so we might look at spotify um, as an example or airbnb and say well what are the good things what are the things that work really well in spotify or airbnb and it's we do pick them at random but completely different to the industry we're looking at and then say well what can we take from one to feed into the other to make it better Mm. and that's where real innovation can happen real innovation can happen because we're not just making incremental tweaks and changes to things we're saying do you know what airbnb have got a wonderful app they've got a fantastic client service they do x y and z in a super way how can we apply that to financial services and and that take you know you don't just do that in a half hour over lunch it's a facilitated process but but if all we do is look at things financial services from the perspective of financial services people then we're just going to tweak it incrementally mm. Mm. but actually if we bring in we bring in customers to these workshops we bring in clients who are actually able to say do you know what that's not very good if you did it like this this would make me much happier. It would be much easier for me. I'd be more inclined to do business with you and tell other people about it. I've always been waiting for somebody to do an Uber or to do an Airbnb or to do a Spotify in the financial services industry. (laughs) You know, somebody really needs to come in and shake things up. So what we're looking at, Ali, really is a commitment to making change. And, And sadly, there are a lot of big companies out there which the bigger providers perhaps don't have that desire to change or maybe they can't change because the IT mm. implications are, are just so high. But one of the things that comes up time and time again on this podcast, and I genuinely believe this, that the opportunity exists for the smaller firms, for the financial yeah. advisors, you know, in the same way as financial advisors can now use fabulous digital technology that we have to do content marketing to create mm-hmm. personal brands for themselves, to get themselves out there, to get themselves out there to engage with customers, they've yeah. also got the opportunity, whilst they're small, to do what you're suggesting and to really put the customer experience at the heart of what they're going to do. Now, if they were to engage your services, and, and we haven't mentioned your company, but your company is called Ashton McGill, what would be the process that you would take a, a financial services professional, or, or it could be any company really, couldn't it? What would be the process yeah. that you would take them through to help them along this track towards that amazing customer experience? One of the first things that we do with any organization that we work with is that we we have a conversation about why they do what they do. and. Mm. I, I, some people will be familiar with Simon Sinek uh-huh. and his book and TED talk on uh, what he calls Start With Why. Mm-hmm. So actually to be able to make that shift, we need people to understand why they do what they do. So, you know, We all know what we do and we know how we do it, but why do we do it? What's yeah. the purpose? What's the core purpose of the organization and how can we articulate that in a compelling way that gets everyone excited about mm-hmm. what we do? So that's kind of step one. 
we then run, typically what we'll do then is run a workshop with the client around customer experience. So in, in-house with the client, with their team, and, and one of the key things for me when we do that, depending on the size of the company, it doesn't really matter. I, I, I want to have people from across the organization. We need the diversity. Too often, what organizations try to do when they want to innovate or do things a bit differently is that the senior management team sit around the table and try to figure it out. Mm. And and so again, we get incremental improvement. If, however, we, we bring in the receptionist, we bring in the recent graduate, we bring in some of the very junior staff, we have a mix of people. We then get a mix of perspectives. Yes. And these different people have different interactions with customers. That enables us to really start to think differently and not just see things from one perspective. So we done we run this customer experience workshop, and in there, Roger, we get people talking about experiences. So actually, the first, one of the first exercises we do is we ask people to think about good and bad experiences, mm-hmm. and we facilitate a discussion around that, and and we talk about what made them good and what made them bad, and and the emotion that people felt. And in a short while afterwards, we do another exercise where we ask people what if we ask them to stand in their customer's shoes Mm -hmm. and to articulate and verbalize what they think their customers would say about their service, Mm -hmm. good and bad. Mm -hmm. And we use post-it notes. So the room is a sea of color, post-it notes and Sharpies, write it on, shove it on the wall, good on the left, bad on the right. And let's talk about it. And what's really fascinating with that is it's a psychological process. So we've got people to think about experiences. We've talked about the kind of experiences we all have every day. That could be getting the train to work. It could be buying a coffee on the way in. It could be the doctor's surgery. It could be the school drop. Mm. They're all services and it can be good or bad. So people have already, their mind, it's like their minds warmed up. Then we put them into that context of saying, okay, you are now the client of your business. Really honestly, what would what do you think they would say? And it's amazing what they come up with when we get them to that point, their minds are open, they're thinking creatively, they're actually immersing themselves in the client experience. Uh-huh. And and a lot of people get an awful lot of this stuff right, and, and that's on the back of having done the research with the customers quite often. They know what are the pain points, they just haven't really thought about it mm-hmm. before. They've not been challenged to think about it before. And so therefore, they've just continued to do what they continue to do because of the training and the systems and the processes. Yeah. So, you know, that's a wonderful piece of work to do to get people into that right frame of mind. There's then a whole ton of other things that happen after that. We use a tool called customer journey mapping, which looks at how we deliver a service and how the client or customer flows through that service and where the pain points are. And again, that's an iterative process of mapping what we do currently. And in an organization that provides multiple services, we do that on a service by service basis. Um, but by mapping each service and then understanding the the pain points and then getting customers to feed into that, it makes it really easy, perhaps the wrong word to use, but it enables us to redesign the service to be very much more customer friendly. Mm-hmm. And, and you said something earlier, which was spot on. You know, if you're a, a 150 year old institution with IT systems and 2000 people or whatever, it's kind of difficult. You can do this, but it takes an awful lot longer. We're working with a bank which fits that criteria at the moment, but many more thousand customers than that in the uh, staff than that in the UK. We have to take our time to do this. If you're a smaller organization, then actually the best time to do this is almost at the start. It's almost at startup because what you then do is embed a culture of customer 
in your organization and a culture of service and consistency so that as the business scales, then it scales with those principles embedded from the outset. And obviously, people want a return on investment. Mm -hmm. And again, this is this is not necessarily just a financial services thing, but a lot of the time they want that return on investment to happen yeah. really quickly. And it's, yeah, quite, it's yeah. quite a short-term um, outlook that a lot of companies have. And I found that quite frustrating when I was senior in, in a financial services company is that you can yeah. see that there are certain things that will take time. You know, it's a long game to change things like this. But, oh, no, what are we going to get back in the next mm. 12 months? How do you overcome that short-termism yeah. that requires a return on investment now when actually the return on investment might not manifest itself for a good number of years. But actually, ultimately, once you do this, once you become much more focused on the customer experience, the return on investment will be pretty staggering, I think. But you have to get them into that mindset that it might take time. It's a good question. And this is where this is where my background comes in, Roger, because I've been, I, I was an accountant, I probably still am, I suppose. Mm. I don't describe myself as an accountant anymore. Um, I've run businesses, I've I've run multi-million turnover companies with uh -huh. hundreds of people, um, and I've, I've run one-person businesses, 10-person businesses. Uh -huh. But I've been that CEO, I've been that person. So whilst I also come with the design expertise and the customer experience expertise, I'm very focused on ROI because mm. otherwise, I know there's a lot of people that just will say, well, yeah, we're not going to do that because we need, to, we need to see the return. So the way that we would approach that with that type of organization is to look for the quick wins yes, and, and identify the quick wins and the areas where we can demonstrate a very almost immediate return. So we don't try and do everything at once because you can't. And a lot of the time, this stuff does take time yes so by getting to know the organization and quickly identifying the pain points then then my expertise our expertise is to identify the where we should go first what are the first two or three things that we should do and what that enables us to do is to deliver something that achieves a return on investment which enables the conversation to move forward to say okay well next we'll do this and next we'll do this and next we'll do this and there's a, there is a conversation at, at the outset where we lay out what the long-term plan looks like and what that transformation has the potential to do yeah but actually you know that could be three years hence or it could be that could be 10 steps in the process what we really really all need to focus on is the number one step one of the other things that I, we haven't touched on is the benefits internally of doing this of course and embedding this kind of culture internally because for so many of us we're hamstrung by the systems and processes and procedures we have to follow yeah and i haven't yet found a company that hasn't that hasn't reported significant internal benefits by doing this and what i mean by that is with the people in the organization so we focused on the customers as people and the emotion of those customers or clients but actually the people within our organization are people as well who have emotion who want most people get up in the morning and want to go and do a good job and take pride in what they do and and, and feel valued this achieves that on so many levels because all of a sudden we're saying to people throughout the organization, you now have a voice. You have an opportunity to shape the future of this organization and to help us help us deliver value to our clients. That's empowering. Mm. And when we do that, the feedback that we get all of the time from HR departments within the organizations is that this has been, I'll use the word again, transformational for our staff. 
And just as we can map the customer journey, some of the work we do involves mapping the employee journey and what does it feel like to be an employee of this organization. Mm. And the, the companies that are, the organizations that are doing really well in their sectors that we're working with just now are the ones that apply this kind of approach. Because if, if, as, a, if as an employee of that organization, you know why they do what they do and you're motivated by that and you're then involved in the design of the services and the delivery of customer experiences that your clients will like that's that's a wonderful place to be from a human point of view you know as human beings i think most of us want to feel valued and want to do good work so if in our organizations we enable that to happen by having this focus on the customer it, you know there's an roi and of a different kind in terms of internally and that translates itself into productivity less sick time happier staff and so on and so on and so on this reminds me so much of I and mean, it's a long time ago now getting on for 15 years but i was involved in a startup company called bright gray it's a fabulous mm. name for a company unfortunately it's no longer around but again a lot of the thinking that went into that startup was if we have really engaged switched on people and we let them give an amazing customer experience, then we will make profit over the long term. As opposed to, we need to make profit, and we don't care whether we piss off our customers yeah. and have unhappy staff. And that's, yeah. that's a simplistic way of putting it in, in but I like simplistic mm -hmm. stuff. Mm -hmm. But I've always had that in my mind. Have great staff, let them give good service, and you'll be successful. But if you flip it the other way around and you're just focused on bottom line and you have unhappy staff and unhappy customers, yeah. then the churn will ultimately yep. lead to your downfall. Spot on. Ali, there's been some great things that we've discussed here this morning. But one of the other things that I have a bit of a hobby horse about, and again, listeners of the podcast will know this, is the language that we use. Mm -hmm. And again, it's particularly rife in in um, financial services, the fact that we use management speak and jargon and bloated words and passive yeah. sentences, it, it appears in other industries as well. But how, how important is all of that language and the way we communicate to a, an ultimately good customer experience? It's huge. Mm. It's, it's absolutely, I'm glad, I'm glad you've asked that question. It's uh -huh. huge because I think, I think in the past we used that language across all of our professions to demonstrate how much we knew and how clever we were. Yes. And, and that was a part of the magic or the, the secret sauce, as somebody might call it, of what we did that we didn't really want clients to understand. So we would just use these words and clients would just nod their head um, whilst not actually understanding what we were saying. Yeah. So, <laughs> but they were still byproducts anyway because they trusted us. Um, but the world's changed and customers are much more savvy and, and we know that for instance, we know now that 70% of the buying decision is made before the client gets in touch, before they make contact at mm. all. They're doing their research. And what that means is that, that the organizations that communicate simply in plain English and language that the clients understand are the ones that are more likely to get that first call yeah. or the ones who are more likely to get that referral because because not everyone is an expert in financial services. And we have the same challenge with accountants and lawyers who speak in a language, who speak accountant speak or law speak, but 90 odd percent of their clients aren't accountants or lawyers. And I would, ve I would venture it's the same with financial services, the 90% plus of our clients aren't financial services experts. They're just normal people. Yeah. So if we can figure out a way of articulating the benefits of what it is that we do and the products and services we provide, if we can do that in plain English in a language people will understand that's friendly, 
as opposed to some of the language that's used, if it's friendly, you're going to win. You're going to pick up business and you're going to get referrals. I honestly can't, can't um, overestimate the importance of communication and language, Roger. It's, it's absolutely central to this. I call this either the coffee shop test or the pub test. And <laughs> yeah. you wouldn't go into, you and I wouldn't go into a pub and talk to each other in passive language and and all sorts of uh, management speak and jargon. Well, maybe if we were IT people, we would, but on the whole, <laughs> we wouldn't. And, and if that's the case, why would we want to con- communicate with our customers in any other way other than plain English? It, it, it's staggering. And yet, I guess it's, it's going back to right to what we said at the start, it's become embedded. You, you used the word change earlier on in this conversation mm. and, and people don't like change and people are often threatened by change. Mm. And even when we put in that change is about making things easier yeah. and and introducing simplicity, it's still change. And, and many of our, and it is professions, I, I have to say, many of our professions are, are afraid of what that change will mean. Mm. But the reality is change changes all around us and, and we need to just get comfortable with that and deal with it. So looking out into the uh, into the big wide world, obviously you're working with a lot of companies, you're helping mm. them change, you're helping them focus on customer experience. Give me an example of something that you've seen in the last year, Ali. It could be a marketing campaign or a customer experience that you've had from a company out there that's really impressed you. So I'm a huge fan of Airbnb. Mm. And I, I don't know if any of your listeners will have used Airbnb, but they, they have they are disrupting the world of accommodation let's call it that yeah airbnb was founded just under 10 years ago by a couple of design graduates uh-huh. brian chesky was one of them who's the ceo of the company and, and airbnb now book more rooms per night globally than hilton mm. from a zero, from a standing start and and it's fascinating to watch and to read about that trajectory and and what they do really really well is they've designed the experience that they want their users and their users are two parties because their users are what they call the host the person who's providing the room Mm. and then the user the customer the person who's staying in the room so they've actually designed their service for both of those parties Mm -hmm. and and created a really pleasant experience online yeah that most of the time translates into a pleasant experience offline but the thing that really impresses me is what they do when things go wrong right and that's one of the things we often talk about because as organizations we tend not to think about that because we all just well we expect things to work so but they've recognized that things will go wrong and they have designed in processes to what they do to deal with it whenever something goes wrong so and and I've had people talk about this in our workshops who've had bad, who've had, I was going to say bad experiences. They've had things go wrong. Mm. The Airbnb have then done everything and more to fix. And that for me is testament to a company that gets this stuff, mm-hmm. that wants its host and its users, its, its stakeholders, if you like, in that language, to all have a good experience. And they're, a lot of these disruptors are like that now, so are thinking that way. Yeah. And Uber, you know, Uber's another example of a, a, a new business that, that does things differently, thinks differently. And the last Uber I got in in Glasgow, the driver offered me a bottle of water. He asked if I wanted to charge my phone. You know, that's not a typical taxi experience, but it's a much more pleasant taxi experience. In the world of financial services, I guess, the new challenger banks 
that we have here in the UK are interesting. Um, I, I had my first experience of Metro Bank in London uh, back in the summer when I was down with my visit and my daughter. Okay. And we were having coffee in Pret-a-Manger and, and there was this really cool looking place next to it, which I thought was a hotel. Um, <laughs> and it was a bank. <laughs> And it was a bank, and and it was a bank that, that, and the advantage they have is that they're not a hundred years old. They haven't got legacy systems. Yeah, they're able to design it from the from the ground up. You know, so there are good people. There are people doing good things in every industry and in every profession. It's often easier as the new start to do it that way. And there are great examples. These these I think would be certainly two or three that that. Uh, are worth having a look at. And you mentioned earlier the fabulous book by Jay Bear, Hug Your mm. Haters. And again, yes. I would I would recommend everybody who's listening to podcast picks that book up and, and gives it a really good end-to-end read. But uh, what, what would be the best business book that you've ever read, Ali? That's, you know, that's a really difficult question. Yeah. And I thought, I knew you were going to ask me that. And I thought long and hard about this. And I've uh, I've actually exhausted two pages of paper and I've written them <laughs> names down and scored through and moved on again. And... Um, and I picked, and I, and so the book I'm going to tell you about, I picked up in my office on Monday when I was having a meeting with somebody and okay. I said to her, Cara, you need to have a read of this because this, this book is just gold dust. It's all the stuff we were sitting talking about in our meeting. And it's a book written by Tom Peters and a lot of people will be familiar with Tom Peters, kind of management guru. Um, he's a great on Twitter, actually. If you're on Twitter, go follow Tom Peters. Uh-huh. But Tom wrote a book back in, I think it was 1994, called The Pursuit of Wow. And if you can get beyond the title, you know, it does sound a bit cheesy, The Pursuit of Wow. But actually, so that book was written in 94, which if you think about it, is almost pre-internet. It's certainly pre-the-internet we know today. Yeah. It's a fantastic book. It's everything we've talked about for the last 45 minutes or so. It's all about experiences. It's all about delivering consistently good experiences to users or customers. This stuff works irrespective of technology. It's a mindset, it's a way of thinking, it's a belief, it's a culture. And that for me is one of the best books I've ever read. And so much so that that it's, when I take it off my shelf, it's well thumbed. And, yeah, <laughs> Do you know, I was, I, I was going to say, Ali, you're the first person in nearly 100 episodes of the Empath podcast that's ever mentioned The Pursuit of Wow. Um, <laughs> it's also one of my favorite books. I think, oh, I, I, think I, I think I picked it up probably not so long after it had been written. And mm. just like you, it's still on my bookshelf and it's falling apart because I've, re- <laughs> I've picked it up and thumbed through it so yeah. many times. It's such a good over, book. Over the years, I've bought it for several people. Uh-huh. I've just bought it, sent it to them, or bought it and given it to them and said, just read this. Just read this and think about it and embed some of this stuff. Because uh, it's just, it's timeless, I think, Roger. Ali, you've given us so much food for thought this morning, so many great ideas, so much to take away. If anybody's listening to the podcast and they want to get in touch with you, what would be the best way for them to contact you? Uh, so the best way, well, first of all, thank you. It's been an absolute pleasure. I've thoroughly enjoyed myself. The The best way to get in touch with me, the easiest way is Twitter. It's also the quickest way. I tend to respond quicker to tweets than I do to emails. Um, and my Twitter um, account is at Ali, which is A-L-I underscore McGill, which is spelled M-C-G-I-L-L. So at Ali underscore McGill on Twitter. That's the best and quickest way to get hold of me. Fantastic. I'll include a link to that in the show notes, which you can find at rogeredwards.co.uk forward slash MPAF. That's rogeredwards.co.uk forward slash MPAF. 
Ali, it's been fabulous to talk to you this morning. Really enjoyed it. Let me wish you every success for the future for yourself and for Ashton McGill. And no doubt I'll see you again very soon, either at the TCMA or hopefully a lot earlier than that. Fantastic, Roger. It's been an absolute delight. I've thoroughly enjoyed myself this morning. Thank you. for listening to the marketing protection and finance podcast do please look at the show notes at rogeredwards.co.uk forward slash mpaf for links to the apps and topics and books we discussed if you enjoyed the show please leave a review on itunes simply visit rogeredwards.co.uk forward slash itunes and leave a review if you are a provider or advisor or journalist and you have a product campaign or business model you'd like to talk about please get in touch you can be the next guest on the show and do remember nothing we talk about on the show is financial advice of any kind it's all just thoughts and opinions okay